All right, hello, and welcome to David Foster, Wallace, and Gromit, the only officially unlicensed Infinite Jest fan cast. Uh, my name is Jared, with me as always is Steve. Here to discuss all things uh, surrounding and pertaining to David Foster, Wallace, a seminal classic Infinite Jest, as well as uh, culture at large, um, how we're doing in our day-to-day, and, uh, and a novella of our choosing, or a novel of our choosing. In this week's case, uh, Steve, how are you? Well, you know, I've I've never been better. I'm, you know, enjoying, sort of enjoying the the, the solitude. Let's call it. Yeah, it's been a nice, yeah. Let's call it a nice little reprieve from the hustle and bustle of our day to day as world renowned podcaster extraordinaires, literary experts, um, you know, international playboys, men about town. Right. Uh, at the top of the hour, we might as well just say, you know, for our loyal listeners, for the real heads out there, for all the grommet heads who have been waiting patiently for this week's episode, uh, who, who also listened to last week's episode. Last week, we uncovered a pretty large, let's call it a um, apocalyptic, a world, an earth shattering conspiracy that involved uh, really everyone we'd come to trust. Uh, we were betrayed um, uniformly right. by everyone we had come to trust, Gustavo. Um, David Del Monte, Damon Money, uh, Abner, Muhammad, Skib. And uh, we became aware of, let's call it a globalist conspiracy um, that was, was uh, in effect for funneling money through us for our various uh, coup attempts, uh, cessation efforts. Right. Right. And uh, and funded in part by the NSA and the global powers that be, the, the global cabal. So um, suffice to say, the let's call it five minutes after that episode went up, we were uh, wrangled, rounded. Uh, you know, the paddy wagon pulled up in front of our house, in front of the in front of the David Foster Wallace and Grauman Industries podcasting studio, hauled us away, black bag over our head. And, you know, we had kind of presciently said, oh, we're going to, you know, The Hague, we're going to a government black site, we're going to Guantanamo. Very fortunately for us and the good people over at the NSA, we are currently interned at Walla Walla State Penitentiary uh, here in Washington State, here in Walla Walla, Washington at the Federal Supermax. And uh, no, I mean, like Steve said, I mean, it's been a nice, it's been a nice, relaxing reprieve from the hustle and bustle of our day to day here at the Federal Supermax Penitentiary. Um, Right. Well, now I do want to correct you there, Jared, because I, I'm not sure if you've been made privy to this information, but I'll release it live on air. Uh, I've been actually transferred to Ypsilanti State Hospital in Michigan, which is a mental institution. And yeah, and I guess you weren't made aware of that. So you see, that's why, I mean, that's why I'm still on call. That's why. Right. I mean, we, we, when we first arrived, cause you were originally a Walla Walla. When we first arrived, they said, look, you know, that. we're yeah. not going to, we're not going to deprive you guys of your basic needs as podcasters. So here we've allowed in uh, two adjoining uh, cells, solitary, solitary confinement type cells. You can come here for an hour a week and you can podcast. We've got the sort of, uh, you know, Windows XP computer set up. We've got the. Sure. You know, classic Bluetooth headset microphone. And I thought here we were just wall to wall, but you're saying you've been transferred. I, I've been transferred. You'll have to double check on your neighbor and who that is. But actually yesterday evening, I uh, I took a flight out here to Michigan through Detroit. I was put on a, a, a bus 
and uh, transferred to Ypsilanti State, where I am currently in the emergency care wing of Ypsilanti State Hospital, which is a mental institution in, in Michigan. Uh, so it is cold. Uh, I am enjoying still the solitary confinement, but uh, it's just information for you. Just FYI, you may be transferred to a mental institution, and particularly, I think it is uh, due to the conducive environment toward questioning. And, sure. and the, uh, as I said, I still am in solitary. I just have a, a straight jacket on. And so I've got, you know, Limited, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm all tied up and there's, okay. a, there's, they, they set up, the nurse came in and set up a, uh, set up a, a microphone and set me up on a phone call. So I am detained effectively uh, after, well, admittedly, already even in less than a day, uh, three to four escape attempts. Sure. So they've got you in sort of the the padded, the classic, as our listeners right. might be aware of, the classic padded room, straight jacket, yeah. suicide watch kind of guard proceeding. Steve, tell me though, in your short time there, how do the amenities stack up to our our beloved federal supermax. I mean, tell me about the the food situation. Let's start with the food situation. Well, I've been I've been given what I would approximate. I would say in my at least in my back in my culinary days, uh, this would be in the category of slop. And oh, that geez. what I mean what I mean by that is I mean uh, peas and potatoes uh, with milk put in a blender and uh, placed into my stomach via a very long tube. So you're sort of imbibing the classic gray food. Uh, Steve, do you have a roommate? Do you have a cellmate perhaps? I have or no cellmates. You... I, I have okay. no contact with anyone outside of this nurse. Um, I did before, yesterday evening after we had arrived in, after I was flown in, I, I did uh, have a, a roommate, not so much a cellmate, but more just a Padded, padded room roommate with a, lo a locked door from the outside, of course, um, named Jeff, who uh, at least to me claimed to be um, some sort of culinary culinary expert, in fact, because and, and this is this is how I learned about the classification of slop versus gray food uh, is he he was actually telling me he said you know right when I arrived, when they, when they brought me in, there was no tying or anything. I, I was very compliant. Let's put it that way, you know, and, uh, and Jeff, Jeff was telling me, you know, you'll learn pretty quickly that, that the food that they serve here is slop. And I know that because I, I do have culinary experience and I was involved in, uh, uh in attending culinary school before mm -hmm. I was, before I was brought here. And he, he, I suppose, had some sort of outburst, uh, outburst on live television, Good Morning America, or something like that, where he was the resident guest chef, and uh, there was something related to him saying that uh, that uh, something related to Monsanto, I think he was telling me, but I don't remember. Okay, and so he was he effectively was was claiming to expose expose something related to Monsanto or maybe it was Chiquita. 
Mm. I don't remember. I have to admit. I mean, maybe and that's yeah, a, so... yeah. I mean, certainly a compatriot, you know, when we talk about our, look, we spent uh, a handful of weeks uh, discussing our once beloved uh, Del Monte Foods Limited Corporation and, uh, right. and certainly, you know, equally scorned. So, uh, you know, my heart goes out for Jeff and uh, hope he's doing well over there. I, on the other hand, I, I was uh, recently uh, granted a cellmate, uh, re-released into general pop. Um, a lot of our listeners might be aware as my, it's a good friend of mine, um, truly, uh, uh, an honored and, and beloved man around the prison is my good friend, Gary, a uh, local man. Um, people might be familiar with, uh, his full name is Gary Ridgeway. He's, uh, you know, he's been trying to tell me for the past week or so he's done nothing wrong. And, um, I'm inclined to believe him. I mean, truly just a sweetheart. He's been showing me the ropes. He helped me get my first tattoo. I now have my, uh, my last name tattooed across the yoke of my back and he's just been spotting me in the yard you know where we go out there for activities each week we hit the weights a little bit um he's been kind of showing me the ins and outs you know who to talk to about what um you know put me on to the uh the market price of cigarettes and how these are traded for various commodities you know he uh, reached out to some people he knew put some money on my books um you know allowed me a little more luxury here during my stay you know we've got a nice little tv in our cell uh, a little small TV, mm. little, little like 10 inch TV, but gets the job done. Watch a little movie here and there, you know? Um, so, hmm. so now you're actually able to leave from time to time your room. Yeah. We go out to the yard. We go out to the cafeteria. There's also a nice library here, which frankly, I mean, again, the oh, powers wow. that be might not have been aware of this, but it's been lovely for the podcast as uh, mm. I've been able to really just spend some hours and look, you know, I go into I go into the video call room, and you're you're seldom responsive. I understand why now, but I go I go and I just read. Yeah, I read nine ten hours a day. You know, yeah. Now I now I, I do remember that, of course. How could I forget? I mean, how could I forget? I suppose my memory, after jumping out of the four story window, is a bit poor these sure, days. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, this morning, and uh, I do remember now that you mention it. We would I think we actually rate read. Uh, sound of waves in the same room, if I'm not mistaken. Although it does so. seem, you know, a week ago feels like maybe 10 years or 20 years today. I did hit my head on the rocks as I jumped out of the window. It was four stories. Both my legs are broken and uh, there is a big, a big hole in my head. Yeah. Um, sort of a classic cartoonish so. lump where you, you hit the ground and they're wheeling you back sure. in and a lump is slowly just... Right, right. To the top of and that head. is why, and that is why they do have to. I, I have, I have plenty of ice on my head at the moment. I have a big, yeah. a big carved, a big carved ice block. Uh, yeah, in not, the shape I mean, of my head on my head, as if it not is a helmet. Too dissimilar to uh, our narrator in Samuel Beckett's uh, "The End." You have a nice big, a nice so, big yes. lump on your head, and they've carved uh, around the ice block so that it might fit perfectly and melt slowly. Exactly. Yeah. You're, I mean, look for our listeners out there, you know, you're talking about the padded room. You're talking about the suicide watch and it sounds, it sounds pretty, uh, you know, there's a lot of sorrow, a lot of despair, a pretty abject circumstance. Meanwhile, I'm over here on a chase lounge, uh, being fanned by, by a guard and really enjoying the luxuries afforded to me as a Washington state resident here at the Washington state, uh, federal supermax. I understand Uh, that. I wish I was there. Truly a, a wildly different experience than I expected. Now, I will say, Steve, have you had to join a gang since uh, being transferred? Realistically, no. Uh, this is not really a gang-type 
environment, most of the people that I'm surrounded by can't even speak mm-hmm. uh, or walk. As I mentioned, both my legs are broken, so now I'm, I'm putting around in a wheelchair. Okay. Uh, we do have activities. Those activities for most include uh, sitting silently in a room or rather sitting in a room and talking to oneself. As for me, it, 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 I suppose we'll be reading, though I haven't been here very long, only a day or so. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I'll, I'll learn more about the social workings of this place. But as far as I understand, there is very little talking outside of Jeff, who, who talked extremely fast about uh, Chiquita and the fruit, fruit corporations or Monsanto and, and stuff like that. Uh, and... He, he, he said he was in, in the culinary arts and he'd known about this and that sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah. I'm chef. Jeff is, is what we're supposed to call him. So yeah, I, I don't know the degree of illnesses that people have here, but I suppose I am scheduled for a, for a small briefing later today. So, so if we're able to talk next week on the podcast, I can update people on that. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to see. I'm not really involved in any of the social spheres here. As I said, I, I think there are very little. This, I mean, if, if those liter- literature buffs out there are familiar with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it is a Cuckoo's Nest-esque uh, endeavor. Sure, sure. Though not so, you know what I mean? Though not so violent mm-hmm. outside, of, outside of my... Escape attempts, which were, of course, not Disastrous. Fact, suicide yeah. suicide attempts, and and they they take it as such. And so now I'm on, I'm on fairly harsh surveillance. There's a camera in the corner and and such. But uh, yeah, yeah, as far as the social world goes, there there isn't much. Yeah, and, they've got uh, you with those paper thin sheets. I'm over here on the uh, 1600 thread count Egyptian cotton, courtesy of Washington well, State. I understand that. I actually can't lay down. I'm in a reclining wheelchair. Yes, as I yeah. mentioned, not so too dissimilar from uh, that the classic Hannibal Lecter uh, recumbent bed, where you just you're <sighs> up you're upright at all times, arms strapped to your side. Um, I, I mean, so. I I look, I I really hate to say it, um, but again, I mean, Chef Jeff, impression even. I mean, look when when we were approached by David Del Monte and we began our work with the Del Monte Corporation, Del Monte Foods Limited, and we were introduced to Chiquita Banana herself. Um, I. I mean, the secrets that were revealed to us, the way that our minds were, let's say, torn asunder, uh, and our eyes were open sure. to some very harsh truths uh, of the global foods industry, uh, but that dollar sign was just too big to pass up. And, and, that's, and that's where they get you, I think. That is, that is where they get you, because I do remember our initial discussion with Mademoiselle Chiquit, and it was involving... Uh, a very large sum of money, uh, you know, and and we we weren't allowed to divulge the company's secrets, so to say. But I suppose it is okay now. I have effectively nothing to lose and nothing to live for, so I can tell our viewers live, uh, live on air, that everything effectively that you eat uh, is brought into production by the uh, by Mademoiselle Chiquit. Uh, and her and her company, uh, which does own Monsanto, 
and it's all made in a lab, if you can believe that. Yep. So, I mean, do what you want with that information. I will probably not be alive for much longer. And, uh, yeah, what can I tell you? A lot of people will call us crazy. A lot of people will say you're insane. But look, when that much money is on the table, when these kinds of things are floating around, when you start learning learning things and and getting new information and it's it it is earth shattering and it is it is uh you know it, it is pretty crazy and and so that's it's just this is just a word of warning to those those our, our dear beloved listeners our true listeners not the ones who are who are uh, scamming us in, in that sense right right um and of course for anyone who uh you know, wants to help us out in any way, shape or form. Of course, we do still have access to the email. Please shoot us an email at David Foster Wallace and Gromit at gmail.com. <laughs> and uh, we will be providing in the coming days our individual um, prisoner ID numbers, our inmate numbers. If you would like to send us some money for a commissary, we will also be issuing uh, soon uh, personalized or, or rather a unique run of uh, NFTs as, uh, as Gary's put me on to, uh, to maybe better supply ourselves with some uh, independent wealth, some independent funds for legal fees, uh, commissary, um, to send our families mm. back home, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Steve, you know, I, on the other hand, uh, I, I did have the, let's call it the rare privilege of uh, joining a gang uh, within my first week here at the uh, Walla Walla State Penitentiary. Uh, you know, Gary was really helpful with that. You know, we were, we were doing our work out in the yard. We were uh, getting tattooed. We were hanging out. We were spending our time together as we want to. He's really teaching me the ins and outs. Uh, a really important key fact and for our listeners, this is, uh, you know, breaking news. Um, it's not always the most wise to join the Aryan Kings or the, the Aryan Brotherhood, excuse me. I mean, you know, people think sometimes that's the, that's the only route you have. You know, you think as a white man, you go to prison, you shave your head and that's your new identity now. You know, you're getting a big swastika tattoo. And uh, he informed me like, no, that's not the route you have to take. And I thought, thank God, you know, I don't want to have to get costly tattoo removal. You know, what if I love it? What if I go nuts for the lifestyle and the culture? What if I just can't get enough? Um, he did say, you know, very fortunately with the podcast, thank you so much to all the listeners of David Foster, Wallace and Gromit. We've read a lot of uh, magic realism, a lot of Latin American literature. And he put me in contact with the head of the Latin Kings. Um, and I am very proud to say that Gary and I both are the only white members of the Latin Kings here at Walla Walla State Penitentiary. And we are having the time of our life. I guess all I can say is it's good to hear that you're doing well. I am not. As I mentioned, my I have a couple broken vertebrae and both my legs are broken. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do have severe damage in my elbows and in my wrists uh i'm effectively one very large noodle and yeah. uh life is very difficult so i am while i am glad to hear about how well you're doing sometimes things uh, just aren't as easy across the board sure. and you know and again for everyone listening out there please shoot shoot us an email dave foster wallace and Garmin at gmail.com you know a couple of weeks back we were doing the um first annual and at this point i mean probably the the only uh gustavo ernesto uh prayers up vibes up memorial spectacular telethon and uh and this week you know here i found strength and brotherhood and uh and community and solace and um sure. and and steve is uh is shattered a shell of a man and i just you know i hope everyone out there is sending him his you know your good vibes prayers up and um you know allowing him to heal 
and, and learn from these experiences and understand the great blessing that's been bestowed on us by the NSA and the globalist cabal uh, by sending us here to our respective penitentiaries. Um, sure. Well, I just hope I can, I, I mean, I, I still dream of the day where I'm, you know, airlifted out of here by Mossad and, and, and uh, there's a rescue effort for me, but I yeah. suppose it's been one day and I've given up hope since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is the thing, you know, our listeners might be privy to this, but in a world such as ours, where you're forsaken by your country, by the sort of global, uh, the clandestine global network that you had become so accompanied uh, and, and, and acclimated to, accompanied by and acclimated to, um, you know, our, our plans for Operation Greenland, our plans for various child soldier and warlord efforts. I mean, the only people who really have your back in these times of need uh, are Mossad. And, and the good sovereign state of Israel. And we can really just hope and pray day in and day out that, uh, you know, that, that I'll, you know, I'll be sitting here one day with Gary, you know, hand rolling a little cigarette, telling tales of old, you know, talking about our, our adventures growing up in Washington. And, uh, and the brick wall behind me will just, boom, blow out, you know, income Mossad, yanking me out of the black bag back over my head. And here I am. And then, you know, one day, one day, you know, uh, you know, God willing, I, I'm back in my desk bags ripped off my head and I'm just comfortable comfortable as can be we can only dream we can only dream we can only dream but, but you know it could uh, always be worse we could have been us. you know well, we could have been sent to a black site worth, well it could always be worse for one of us I suppose I'm not sure how it could be worse for me I tell me, tell me no a little bit of, in my body. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the nurse who's been helping you we got a little you got a little uh, a little uh, a little mommy situation over there maybe a little a little well, the uh, second let me just put it this way for you the second escape attempt if we can even call it that was me being pushed out of the window by the nurse okay so she maybe just same, had about about window. enough yeah yeah and the and the issue was wasn't even me right it wasn't even me i was put i was put in solitary uh, effectively, I was in my wheelchair because all my bones were broken after the first fall, or at least, let's say, broken enough. Yeah. Uh, Chef Jeff actually was was making a noise complaint, supposedly about me, though I was not making a sound, and I was I was let's let's call it expelled from the building via the window, mm -hmm. uh, not of my own accord. And uh, that's why I'm on suicide watch is because of the second attempt, though it wasn't an escape attempt. And my third was after the operation, this was in the middle of the night, <clears throat> after the operation, I admittedly uh, <clears throat> did try to wheel out there in my wheelchair, but of course that's not fast enough. So I was, I was putting along down the stairs and it just in a wheel, if anybody out there, if anybody's listening out there has, uh, has tried to go downstairs while sitting in a wheelchair, with two broken legs, broken spine, and a few broken, broken bones in your arms and hands. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it doesn't really work too well. And so that's why I am currently in a neck brace uh, because of my tumble down the stairs yeah. in my wheelchair. And what truly an incredible segue for us to say that David Foster Wallace and Gromit stands with the wheelchair bound community. This is the only officially unlicensed Infinite Just fan cast that does partner with uh, the wheelchair bound community. All of our uh, comrades therein. 
Uh, Steve, I have to say, uh, I don't know if Chef Jeff is really as good a friend to you as we once thought if he's uh, complaining about the noise you're making. I assume, I assume groans of pain. Well, he's not a friend. The uh, fourth uh, escape attempt incident was me pushing him out the window. Same okay. window. Yeah. Because uh, there's uh, one window. Well, let me, let me put it this way. Mm -hmm. It was the same window, which was already broken, which the maintenance team hadn't fixed yet. I attached a rope to Chef Jeff's leg. I rolled my wheelchair out. I fell. I was dangling. Uh, and Chef Jeff fell with me. So I did pull, let's say I pulled him out. Uh, of a window uh, out of the fourth floor at Ypsilanti State. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and that's why I'm in a more severe solitary confinement situation. I'm a, I think I'm about, well, these days I don't, a, I don't actually know because I'm moved every hour, two hours or so. I've mm -hmm. been, I think I'm currently on the fourth floor again but I've been in the basement, which is about 10 floors deep uh, underground to take a very long elevator to get there. Yeah. So. You're getting really familiar with this damn prison, I tell you what. Uh, I tell you, you... I mean, it's not prison. It's a mental institution. Well, they're certainly running they, it like one. Well, they, they certainly uh, think that I'm a part of something which I'm not because I never... They keep telling me that we know about your plan for the child soldiers, and I say... Absolutely not. I never made any plans for that. I made plans to to take your hobbit of, hole. Well, take hold of of the of the deactivated nuclear warheads in Greenland, and use them as, you know, as uh, <sighs> take your time. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. You know, we went. Look, we went from we went from sitting on the top of the world. Uh, there are still people in here who, you know, national news, obviously, our, our work with Operation Greenland. I mean, it's it's everywhere now. And there are people in sure. here. I, I can't walk anywhere without someone dapping me up, shaking my hand, saying, you tried, you know, could not have been more ambitious. I have people all walks of life. I have petty thieves. I got, I got you know, uh, high society burglars. I have uh, con artists, murderers. I have, I have everyone, everyone who's, everyone at my beck and call saying, you know, Pines is the coolest guy in here. You know, oh, him, him and him and Gary walk around with the Latin Kings, you know, he, he had, he had it all, but I understand like Icarus, you know, we too have fallen. Well, I have four times. That's fair. That's fair. Look, here's, and you know what? It's so, it's and look, so, I um, get it. But people, people around here, when I'm wheeling around, they also say, uh, you tried because they think I'm on suicide watch, but I tried to escape. Yeah. You know, and that's what people don't know because this nurse is spreading a bunch of gossip about you know oh he tried to jump as if that's a as if that's a funny thing right so right i guess it, i guess you know it's all fun and games until everybody's laughing at the guy with two broken legs it's really quite serendipitous the way that you know we had our cameo in tom and jerry you know we had we had been introduced to hannah and barbara and now you know chef jeff he's he's been elongated he's coming out the window you're holding on to him he's stretching out like a rack and you, all these sure. broken bones, you're shrunk down like this here can that I've been afforded. And the two of you side by side, looking like stretch and shrink, looking like a couple of cartoon characters yourself. If only Hannah and Barbara could see you now. I understand that. And it is it is a situation where I do feel like I am in uh, a Laurel and Hardy bit. Yeah. As if yeah. I am one of the two, you know, I feel like that football in the in the football scene from Laurel and Hardy where they keep kicking it down the stairs.
Yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm being kicked down the stairs, frankly. And frankly, I was kicked down the stairs, not in terms of being kicked, but in terms of falling. And that is yeah. where I did uh, break a number of bones in my body. And if you replace stairs, of course, with a fourth story window, the same window three times, I indeed have fallen. Yeah, I mean, you're probably feeling kind of like the like Charlie Brown right about now, except the football that you keep failing to kick is a, a successful escape attempt. And every time you fall, you know, your nurse, a la Lucy, is just looking at you and that. saying, you know, he, you're saying good grief. You know, you're you, you know, look, shrink and stretch saying good grief. Who can't relate? You know, sure. You know, a lot of people try to tell me that, you know, we we fall so we can. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can get up again or learn to pick ourselves up again. Well, not if you fall from the fourth story and break both your legs. Yeah. So that's something they don't tell you in the storybook endings. So, yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's really unfortunate that we're having to relay to our listeners, the very disparate, uh, penitentiary or let's, let's call it lockup experiences that we're having. Um, this is literally quarantine, you know? Yeah. Look, I mean, a lot of people out there, a lot of people of, of uh, weaker resolve spent an entire year complaining about quarantine. Oh, I'm stuck in my house for a couple of days. Oh, I'm stuck in my house for a couple of weeks, couple of months, couple, maybe a couple of years. But look, I'm as much fun as I, uh, you know, believe myself to be having here at the Walla Walla State Penitentiary, the federal supermax. Uh, look, we're looking at life imprisonment. This is, this is it. And I've made the most of my first week because I don't know what happens next? All I know is that this is my life now. So I do my I do my little reading. I get ripped up like Rambo and Gary and I go for a leisurely walk around the yard. Okay. For all we know, you're going to be transferred back. But in the interim, you too are living as though this is your new life. And uh, there's really nothing else that can be done. I mean, look for next for next week's right. novella selection, <clears throat> you're going to be having Chef Jeff hold the book up to your, you know, like I said, your, your recumbent bed. And just holding it up like this so that you can read it. You're saying, you know, page, he turns the page and you go, no, you, you turn two of them. You turn three of them. You skip the page. And he has to go back and you're having to have Chef Jeff hold the book for you. Well, Chef Jeff won't be there because Chef Jeff plays bridge. Oh, geez. <sighs> Chef Jeff plays bridge and I have no legs. So yeah. I guess that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. You get pushed around by the nurse. Chef Jeff is playing his bridge. I'll uh, just push once out of a window. Right. So. Right. Anyway. Um, for those listening out there once more. Yeah, uh, not great. It's not great. Situation is pretty great. dire. I can say, Stephen, I, I believe I speak for both of us. There is one thing that I think would truly uh, help our situation. And that would be sure. if uh, all of our listeners out there would go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and maybe a positive review to help us in these dire times. It would really lift our spirits. I know it would help Steve here if, uh, well, if we had someone. I would have, no, I would have, I would appreciate it a little bit more if one, if I could have my legs back and two, if, well, I don't know. I, I don't want to see Chef Jeff again. I don't want to see him ever again. But in any case, I would I would prefer it if if some of the fans out there would send in uh, would send in frankly uh, you know this this is our podcast and we do you know we do prayer prayer spectaculars uh, willy nilly apparently to those who end up uh, to those who end up ratting us out to the government right right um, you know we we honored Dr. David Del Monte 
We honored Dr. Dr. Skim. We honored them effectively on a daily basis, and we honored the fans. Right. And that turned out to be, well, a large-scale conspiracy theme scheme that ended up getting me, you know, that ended up me. Look, we were afforded a computer. We were afforded microphones. We were afforded the luxury of continuing the podcast from our respective penitentiaries uh, or from our respective lockups. But uh, you know, well, no the one issue said anything. Was I was, I was, I was afforded a microphone. I was afforded uh, these types of things, but I wasn't afforded the ability to not be falling out of a window. Right, so. right. And they also gave us the lowest uh, bandwidth Xfinity plan. We I think we have like five megabytes a second, so it's a little tough. It's a little right. tough in these calls. Uh, <sighs> Steve, do you think maybe we're being punished for not being appreciative of enough of the fans? If maybe, if maybe we had done a more extravagant spectacular, I think, I think we're being punished for being too appreciative of the fans and the fans not being appreciative enough of us. Well, then right. I think I speak for both of us when I say uh, gone is the era of David Foster Wallace and Gromit appreciating fans. Uh, no more spectaculars, no more prayers up, no more vibes up, no more telethons. Fuck the fans, hundred uh, percent across the board. Like just a complete uniform dismissal of everyone. They can eat my fucking ass. I would love to no, see them tolerate no, no, no. the lifestyle that no, I've come no, no, to tolerate no, here no, at the Walla no, Walla no, no, State no, no, Supermax. No. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not advocating that, you guys. Uh, I'm, I mean, they, I'm, they're I'm, responsible for your broken well, legs, for your quadriplegic I, state. I, I understand that, but I'm, I'm more advocating for a prayer spectacular for me. So I want oh, voice recordings. Well... I suppose that would be too much as if well, I haven't been through it, as if I haven't been through enough. As if the heartbreak would only put you over the edge, the physical ailments, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but these words can always hurt you. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, look, before we completely say, fuck the fans, uh, you know, I'm sure there are still hundreds, thousands, even out there listening who, uh, who weren't part of the globalist cabal that has, has landed us in our respective lockups. And, uh, right, right. if you have, some words of kindness some words of wisdom and uh and look i mean maybe even a comment on this week's uh, novella selection maybe you want to call in and talk about the book maybe you want to call in and oh, i'm trying not to get well uh, you know overwhelmed here trying to just talk to us about uh life in the outside world you know be greatly appreciated and of course you could always send us an email at david foster wallace and gromit at gmail.com uh and we will be revealing how you can put a little money on our books here in the coming days uh not on mine because i can't do anything with it because i don't have legs well, you stockpile it and you send it back to your family. They don't allow that here. So. You know what? In hindsight, maybe for you, it would have been better if you had gone to a black site. Maybe you'd be treated better there. Uh, you want to talk about uh, the sound of waves? Yeah, sure. So uh, for everyone listening, last week we we talked about um, the the uh, final entry in in Sam Beckett's trilogy uh, after, of course, our betrayal and uh, you know um, the complete erosion of all social constructs that we had, had previously held dear. Uh, but this week we went ahead and we went back to another fan favorite. We had previously read uh, the Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea with the uh, for the podcast and really enjoyed that. Or at least I really enjoyed that because obviously it's a it's a, it's a classic Mishima tale. It's about the sea. It's a, it's a horny story. It's about, uh, you know, masculinity. I, in fact, I even returned on, on this here prison computer. I returned to uh, the Goodreads review that I had written back in 2017 of uh, the sailor who fell from grace of the sea uh, at, from the podcast account. <clears throat> and um, 
the review is is whatever i kind of skimmed over that but the final sentence is steve found this one too horny didn't enjoy it and uh <laughs> really really enjoy coming back to little little gems like that little tidbits and just being reminded all right that death in venice billy bud all the horny stories that steve couldn't stay <laughs> so uh this week oh. less let's call it less violent um lest uh i mean there is certainly a a, a uh, the let's see what are the classic Mishima themes we have uh contempt for westernization and in the western world we have uh militarism um uh, <clears throat> fascist ideations we have uh the idealized masculinity or ideal uh male form um sort of abject eroticism the sea honor duty and all these in some way shape or form outside of maybe the uh the preoccupation with the morbid, the morbid preoccupation rather, uh, are present in the sound of waves. Steve, do you want to do you want to do just maybe a quick synopsis, and then we'll talk about themes. Let's not go through the whole thing, but just what's what is the sound of waves? You you go ahead and give a synopsis on this one. I need to take my meds. Yeah, for everyone listening, the nurse has come in, looking very disdainfully at the camera here, and is uh, kind of offering Steve a little sip here and a sip there of some water. Steve, can you walk us through the 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 suite of of prescriptions that you're being handed? Well, I have about 60 different pills. Right, a real right fistful, now. a real monkey's paw. And I've got close to a gallon of something in an IV that they've hooked me, hooked me up to. Yeah. So that's gotta go in over the course of the next couple hours. Yeah. And you say IV, but I can see here on the screen for our listeners, this is uh, a rectal infusion. <laughs> this is a suppository. Um, Absolutely and, not. And just, you know, and he's he's trying to be modest for the listeners. Again, this is a big, this is the unofficial, the de facto prayers up for Steve Spectacular as we go into our novella selection for the week. Or again, our, our novel selection. I mean, this is a, this is a, a regular size book. It's not particularly uh, long. It's not that much longer than, let's say, um, ultramarine even but uh similar i would say similar density what i like about this is what i like about i would say most mishima writings and that it's very or it has the capacity to be very meditative very contemplative. i do understand that i do want to clarify that uh, it is an iv and i do have a fear that the needle that is currently in my arm it's about it's a, a about a let's say two two inches or so i am afraid that if i bend my elbow at all uh the needle will start poking out of the poking out of my tricep so yeah. i really want to be careful of that so i can't really move at all I, mm -hmm. well i can't i can't move my legs i can't move my spine and i can't move my neck anyways yeah and my my right arm is in a cast and my left arm is also in a cast that has a hole in it that has this huge syringe going through it and i don't want to you know, I don't want any any needles to be popping out of the other side of my arm. I tell you, it's really a shame that this wasn't the week we read uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Well, it may as well be. It may as well be. I have no legs and I, and I can't <laughs> scream. <laughs> um, anyway, so The Sound of Waves, it's, uh, it's sort of your classic star-crossed lovers, you know, one rich, one poor sort of story. It's this time isolated on a, a, a very remote um island community japanese island community this, this sort of fishing village it's referred to as a village it's referred to just as the island it's referred to on one occasion as a city so the scale is kind of 
neither here nor there, but we do understand that both characters live fairly provincial lifestyles, even in a city. Um, with uh, with Hatsue being the uh, youngest, I believe, what the youngest daughter of sort of um, uh, a fishing and industry scion uh, of the island, someone who owns a handful of freighters, and then uh, oh my god, I always forget his name. It's Shinji, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, being the eldest son of a, a widow who works as a fisherman. And these characters, so so Shinji is like 18, I think, by the end yeah. of the story. And yeah. Hatsue is what? Probably 18 as well, maybe a, maybe a year older? I'm not sure. That's unclear, I thought. Yeah, I don't think it's explicitly said. Well, so at the end of the story, you know, spoilers for everyone listening, but at the end of the story, uh, when they are allowed to be engaged... It is uh, sort of precipitated by being told, no, you're not allowed to get married yet. You're far too young. So you can have this extended engagement and still living in separate homes in the island. But really just to quell at the end, of course, you know, we'll get it. We'll get into what's happening in the story. But at the end of it, to quell some of the um, the rumors, the salacious rumors that are being spread by townsfolk uh, outside of the small commune of uh, diving women who advocated for for Shinji as being a, a quality suitor. Uh, Steve, I want to sure. get I want to get right in this. You know, we talked a little bit about themes already. What what themes would you say are most prominent in this? Well, I just want to say I'm glad that we uh, we finally read uh, a book about about happiness and a happy ending uh, right. the week that I lose my legs. So I very specifically remember last week you saying it would be nice to read something that wasn't so preoccupied with death. And, well, I uh, didn't realize I was going to be thrown out of a window four times. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know. Happy coincidence, you didn't realize that your life would become so preoccupied with death. Uh, and here we are reading a nice, so. charming, ten very tender. Tender is the uh, is the the real operative term here. Um, sure. Anyway, so no, tell me about some themes, some 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 motifs that you liked, you didn't like. I mean, what what? Tell me a little bit about it. Well, I do want to I do want to touch on a few things that you touched on already, which is ten. the the. Uh, ideal ideal uh the ideal form or the ideal image of masculinity mm -hmm. um we have kind of the a few of the classic tropes let's say so so shinji's father was described very very his death was described very brutally yeah, and in, uh, in, I think it was chapter five, and and uh, it's it's at least made to sound something. I think this is post-war. It's made to sound as if this was a war or combat-related death. So we have kind of this idea of the war hero and Shinji having to fill the gap uh, for his father. Uh, in this sense, so we have kind of this trope of the fallen father, yeah. the war hero father, and now this hardworking, strong, uh, protective Shinji, who is the main character. Someone who's become, as a even at a young age, he's become very stoic in the wake of his father's right. death. Because his father's death, right, it was, a, it was a military conflict. It was after World War II, I believe even after the Korean War, because this takes place in, in the earlier mid-60s. And, uh, oh, okay. and I think what we're supposed to believe here is that it was a, 
because obviously Mishma has such contempt for the Western world. And there's a whole little chapter about the uh, American uh, military bases on, on some of these isles that are near them. But um, I sure. believe what we're supposed to understand is that his father's freighter just drifted a little too close to an American fighter and was bombed out with three deaths, however many other injuries. And then supposedly the, the woman's body, the dead body they were carrying unscathed, which as you had mentioned kind of before the pod really feeds into, uh, you know, it's not just Mishima's idealized male form. It's his, it's his fascination with masculine, his obsession with masculinity and by proxy, a degree of resentment for women at large, women in a Westernized culture, uh, a greater sense of like women's rights movements, post empire, you know, this, there was the one woman on board who was supposedly the cause of death for all these sailors. And I have, a, I have a little selection about the the diving woman here in a second, but sure. Well, I'll just I'll just just clarify also the 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 trope of kind of the magnet, the town magnet, the wealthy father, the father of Hatsue, is kind of the stalwart uh, Uncle Teru. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, the stalwart figure, wealthy, etc. And so we have these. I would say maybe three kind of idealized male tropes mm-hmm. that then going along with it that we have the we have these additionally as you already mentioned the the female tropes which are Hatsue being yeah I'm not sure there was one there was one mention in in chapter 6 I wrote it down of of her taking etiquette lessons Right. Right. So this is it plays into this. You know, on one hand, there's the etiquette lessons, and also what's the lighthouse? The, the lighthouse keeper's, keeper's wife. The the oh the oh, oh 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 the daughter. Yeah. What I about? I can't her? remember her name, but the lighthouse keeper's daughter is the one who starts the rumors. She's uh, this gossip, and so along with yeah. these blatant idealized. Um, you know, unrealistic male tropes. We also have alongside it these uh, blatant, uh, seemingly negative female tropes, and yeah. that is, as you mentioned already, that plays into Mishima's kind of disdain. Well, his personal I life think. and his his personal ideology. Chioko, Chioko's the the lighthouse keeper's Chioko, daughter. Yeah. But no, right, and that isn't. That's a. What's interesting about that is, is these aren't. They, there is a trope element to it, but I think all these characters are well-written because ultimately this is a story that is about these individual and very like insular tales of self-discovery and self-realization around sure. around the, the romance. And like her story in particular, it's not, it's, it's interesting. So her whole thing is that she's not a gossip. She spreads this rumor because of her resentment for not even Shinji's lack of attention, but her own belief that she is ugly for her father is so ugly that she must be as well. This, this obsession with beauty standards in a westernized Tokyo, in a, in a more cosmopolitan setting. The Lighthouse Keeper's wife, sure. also very cosmopolitan, obsessed with little factoids, celebrity gossip that pepper into the etiquette school. So right. here we have these characters that are, they are not uh, inherently flawed, but Mishima sees what are kind of commonplace uh, relationships developing at this point in time in Japan as Western influence, this, this sort of cosmopolitan mm-hmm. gossip. Um, 
Whereas Hatsue is the, in his mind, the idyllic, like virginal uh, young woman. Someone who, I mean, she's she's mm. strong and skilled. She's a diving woman already. She's tanned, is nonstop. Look, there is a lot of talk in this book about tan and how someone's yeah. tan relates to their status in the island, in life, their value, the, the, sure. the darkness of their skin. Um, but yeah, she's regarded as perfect in every way, uh, in, including this very long, kind of strange communique that all the diving women have around their uh, breast shape, size, and like density, which I had actually bookmarked a weird passage where one of the oldest women's grandma O'Hara, uh, <laughs> the old woman rubbed her own wrinkle covered breast with both hands and then spoke in a cracking voice. What are you talking about? Hers are just green peaches, but mine, mine are well-seasoned pickles. They've soaked up a lot of delicious flavor, let me tell you. And it's like, uh, I was talking to Ashley about this yesterday on one of our, on one of our scheduled uh, uh, calls, calls, of course, phone calls, of course, one of my, one of my allotted calls. And because uh, she too was reading this. And um, what I think is so interesting is I, I don't think Mishima is exclusively unique in doing this but why i think he writes romance so well and tortured romance so well is that one he uh he carried on a few of these tortured romances but as a a gay man a, a closeted gay man for most of his life um there was like a level of secrecy that he had some of these more passionate relationships and then he had his wife and he had the public persona so he better than anyone understands kind of the image the physicality of love both in his private life and then what you had to convey to to the public and then i also think since this is a, a heterosexual relationship that's depicted in the book he as someone who's more detached from it is able to kind of convey the necessary disgust with the with the human physical form that one has to one needs to truly appreciate its beauty I mean, so much of the story is talking about like, hmm. yeah, like little hairs and wrinkles and the way that the skin is pulled yeah. from the tan and, and everything about the way the sea has shaped these people, erosion and, and like suffering and pain has made these people hardened. But it is through that, not in spite of it, that all this beauty is revealed. And I think that's a really interesting way of writing. And I think it's also a very interesting way of, of, of kind of couching what we're talking about, that contempt and that resentment. Because as we know with the final lines, you realize that she is believing herself to have like tamed the sea Shinji being this, you know, the sound of waves, the unknown, the, the all powerful, this cacophony of, of, of passion. Um, whereas Shinji believes himself strong and resolute having finally conquered this girl. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's a stretch. I've, I haven't read a ton of Mishima, but I think I've read enough at this point to kind of get a grasp on how he handles sensuality. Sure it's an interesting thing to think about. I, I, I did want to touch on a, a concept that you mentioned earlier, and maybe it ties into kind of my initial point about uh, masculine and, and feminine is these kind of overt, blatant tropes. While there is a, and maybe this is part of the contempt for Westernization. Mm -hmm. These, these all, these all are, I think for a book, especially that starts out pretty heavily with uh, what I would describe as my view or understanding of 
how Japanese mythology would look like, though I'm not too terribly familiar with it. Kind of, you know what I mean? The names and the mountains and yeah. the, the god of this and, the, you know, there it was, it, it seemed like... The extreme like, detail, the like the topographical yeah, yeah. map that is painted for us so that we can, I mean, like right. it is beautifully written. You can, you can place yourself everywhere that the scene takes you. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also this, this attachment, uh, anthropomorphic nature of, of the environs, yes. let's call it. Uh, I would say for a book that starts out so, so much like that. So like I said, how I would view it Japanese specific or J yeah. Japan specific Japanese mythology, this kind of, this very mythological setting and setting it up in that way. Uh, it, it does play out very much like a Western story. Mm. In spite of that, right? In spite of the kind of more classic Japanese uh, fishing uh, culture, mm. right? The seaside, the the waves, these types of things. And that's not particularly Western in any way. I mean, it can be, of course, but but this is environmentally, this is Japanese mythology. Mm -hmm. But in the microcosm of the story, it, it seems very much Western influenced. These tropes are, are very much, at least to my mind, kind of uh, this, this drawn from almost maybe a Greek mythology. Sure, sure. I mean, I think, I think this depiction of men and women and I think this depiction of like a uh, you know, a real isolated community, the town gossips. Um, I think all that might be evergreen. You know, I don't, Western concept or not, I think it's something that he mm -hmm. is using. And that might actually be the case because that might be what allows this to have such a, a lasting and, and sort of scathing critique um, of, of the characters presented because it is something that, yeah, you, like you're saying, it might, it might be Western or at least it might be something that we're very comfortable with in the Western world, this kind of love sure. story. Um, because yeah, then most of the characters do have some kind of, if they are remotely flawed, they have some kind of Western dealing. I mean, um, what's his name? Yasuo has sure. the, the leather jacket and the watch. He fancies himself like a Steve McQueen type. He has, his wealth has afforded him the trappings of the Western world. Um, uh, Shinji, sure. Shinji's younger brother comes back from his uh, vacation, his school trip in Tokyo. Uh, yeah. only wanted to talk about the movies, the cowboys and Indians, you know, the, the culture that he imbibed. And then upon coming home, you know, he's able to commune again with the waves and the mountains and the people around him and realizes that this, you know, this is the life for me. I can sleep, I can rest easy. Uh, no, but I think, I think you're right. I think it's interesting. It is, it is definitely like, um, it feels very familiar at right. a superficial level. And then yeah. once you start to kind of pick apart the way these people are presented, it does, it's very bittersweet. It's a very tender story that's very much so full of his own ideological resentments. Um, but again, I mean, I think I think it's a real it's a real treat. It's very meditative. I uh, love a meditative story. I love the idea of the sound of waves that's mentioned by you know the, the titular sound of waves. It's mentioned a handful of times to convey these kind of uh, all eclipsing 
romantic engagements are all eclipsing, you know, serious, passionate moments of uh, contemplative moments. And I don't know, I think it's a real treat. I mean, Steve, who would you, I mean, it looks like we're just about wrapping up here. Who would you recommend this for? Who is this book for? Right. Well, I would recommend this book for someone who has functional legs. Uh, okay, that's step one. And hands, functional hands. Functional hands, functional legs. As uh, you you will find yourself uh, bitter reading reading these types of stories, wishing you could see the sea. Yeah. Or wishing see- you could be on the boat pulling those squid nets in. You could be oh. running up the hill to the shrine. Absolutely. Diving. Yep, naturally, naturally. Uh, but those, you know, again, there is this, it, it is very, in my opinion, it's very, from a scenery standpoint, sure. it, from, from the opening, it is a Japanese, and, and maybe this was the idea to, juxtapose if you will from a scenery from a setting from an environmental standpoint this is a very japanese folklore mythology type opening and setting and idea yeah you know what i mean the one with the sea as we've discussed before in the sailor who fell from grace with the sea I mean, we're we're addicted this on this is, podcast to reading nautical and nautical adjacent literature. And I understand that. Yeah, yeah. And and this and this very much plays into these same these same metaphors that we these same these same ideas that we've kind of touched on previously. However, I, I would say that the big contrast that comes in is, yeah, while specific things. Are, are perhaps held in contempt, the idea of Westernization, the idea of outside influence, the idea of globalization even perhaps. Yeah. While there is perhaps contempt on specific things, it is still nevertheless framed while initially as Japanese mythology, right. it still does seem framed as a Western class-based love story you know, the, the, the Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Uh, obviously, obviously not to that degree, but, but this dramatization of mm-hmm. a class struggle love story. Yeah. Which also seems like a, a, a Western trope, though, of course, it, uh, I mean, of course, this is, you know, perhaps this is, of course, a universal. I think it's thing. a not universal. Per, perhaps, of course, this yeah. is a universal thing. But but do you know what I mean? The no, I I know what you mean, and I overtly masculine characters, the overtly feminine, and this could just be his own view of it, but it does kind of fall into this almost streamlined love story. No, you're right, and I I think that's an interesting thing to in a unique backdrop. It's an interesting thing to leave listeners with to kind of chew on because you're right, it is it is something that's pretty universal. I think that what makes this, it's, it's very universal with the trappings of uh, Japanese myth-making. I think what makes it, uh, the pros and cons of Mishima's involvement in it is that you have, you know, the scene like on the beach where it's about the, 
the the value of the handbag of plastic trifles you know his opinion of women his opinion of men his opinion of nationalism of honor i mean yeah this is a universal story universal love story universal truth but this is also something that is unique to his worldview and i think maybe sure. japan at the time when you talk about honor and when you talk about the the wealth strata kind of relationships yeah. something that's a that's plagued basically every mm. society um i yeah. think that maybe yeah. a potential failing on his part which it's not a failing but in his mind may have been is that there's even the potential assumption that he too as a as a cosmopolitan man as a as a modern right person in society fell victim to that modernization effort which at the time was kind sure. of going hand in hand with the western influence yeah i um, guess that's what i'm trying to yeah or i guess that's what i was trying to get at yeah yeah, yeah that's which is i think like an interesting for. it's an interesting concept it's an interesting concept that he yeah. i mean because he's he himself was flawed and most of the stories uh we were talking about this before pod a little bit is that um a few of his his novels are more obscure ones have recently been translated into english and those are certainly more cosmopolitan in theme and like um what was it in uh the de like death in midsummer some of those short stories there's one about like american influence but then there's also a lot of work that kind of profiles artists actors people who have become increasingly involved in the entertainment machine as it would be at that point in time so it's i think maybe later on in the pod or in our individual reading it'll be interesting to see i mean maybe it's time to just get into the tetralogy and see just how at that at that point in his life at that point in his career influenced by the west he had actually become anyway i'm man i'm looking at the clock and i'm getting the i'm getting the sign here from the warden uh it looks like we did not get a chance to talk about infinite jest this week uh i would apologize to our listeners but uh unless they're willing to send some positive vibes your way for your broken limbs or to put some money on our books uh they are dead to me uh of course well, if you are we interested in trouble in for that already if you are interested in uh, sending us an email, davefosterwallsongarm at gmail.com or uh, giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, that, of course, would be uh, loved and you know greatly appreciated. Uh, Steve, what are we reading next week? Uh, obviously, live and direct from our, our respective lockups. I understand that. I just want to clarify. It would be greatly appreciated, any of those things that Jared mentioned, but it won't fix my legs. So next week, we're going to be reading... Uh, Good Country Folk or Good Country People by the beloved Flannery O'Connor, one of my favorite, if not arguably my favorite, but in any case, one of the greatest authors of, of, of all time. Good old Flannery O'Connor, we're reading Good Country People, Good Country Folk, uh, however it's, whatever the nomenclature is, it's a classic. So you we're just going to be looking into that. You would go so far as to say Flannery O'Connor's your top author? One of them for sure. Woo-wee. I'm 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 big on I'm big on some of the some of the shorts and yeah, both yeah, yeah. novels. I, I mean, mean the violent I yeah, would, the violent Barrett away was a real treat. Violent Barrett away, wise blood, and all of the short stories, good man's hard to find. It. And uh we'll we'll get into it next week, but some yeah. some really good kind of light not really light yeah let's let's, let's just call it let's digestible just see next, yeah let's just see next week maybe not digestible a lot to think about but there are some good she just balances yeah silly in in this in this yeah sense, she balances silly with some of the short stories 
Mm-hmm. You balance is like this weird southern silly aspect pretty well against the uh, violent hypocrisy of the culture at the time. Yeah. And kind of these cultural critiques as well. And it's just it's just really, really interesting reading. Well, that's what I really enjoyed I, about... I um, loved everything that I've read. Yeah, I really enjoyed that about The Violent Baradaway because it had... I mean, yeah. obviously, like, uh, preeminent Southern Gothic literature, but there was something about it that Faulkner uh, didn't have, which is that it... It, it, uh, it felt, if my memory serves, the way that some of the more base uh, interjections feel or felt in those Beckett stories where you're dealing with such a syrupy, yeah. smoky Southern landscape. And then out of nowhere, something just either very silly, very absurd or very yep. violent, just out of nowhere. And you're like, whoa, okay. And then you just kind of breeze past it. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's gonna yeah. be a good time. It's gonna be a good time. That's reading a good it, way so. to describe it. Yeah. So anyway, for uh, everyone listening, this has been Dave Foster, Wallace and Gromit, the only officially unlicensed MHF fan cast. Next week, we'll be reading uh, Good Country uh, People. And uh, we will be in touch about how you can support us in our respective lockups. Me over here at uh, at the, the Federal Supermax and Steve at his, uh, let's call it a, an asylum, his uh, sanitarium. Uh, and yes. Until next time, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye now.